Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Um, we are today potentially accomplishing a first for the summer, which is recording a, two episodes in a row for two weeks in a row. Um, Peter's hoping to get back to the Tuesday schedule with weekly episodes, and we are hopefully even pretty soon getting back to the winging it sessions. We are here in my backyard since I still can't drive, and Mike was kind enough to come over. And uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about our fall semesters, working through our syllabi, and um, kind of hitting on some of the stuff we have students reading and that we'll be talking about. We get a fair amount of questions about, oh, what do you, you know, what do you guys teach? What do you use in class? And so we thought uh, it might be something we could do to kind of walk through, and, and uh, maybe there'll be some things that pique your interest, um, or at the very least, we'll get a sense for what uh, we do at the theology department at Wisconsin Lutheran College. We are joined here in the backyard with a special guest. He is shirtless. Um, he was out here playing basketball when when Mike showed up. And uh, um, do you see him play at all? Was he was he hitting buckets? Mike? Uh, he wasn't even playing basketball. He was, yeah, he was just goofing around. Um, what was he doing Z- then? Ziggy is in tip-top shape, but you can definitely tell he's a soccer player, not a football player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ripped. <laughs> you are ripped, but, you know, just because you have no fat at all. Uh-huh. Like, you have, like, 0% fat, so. the uh, And so Ziggy's joining us for the early part in our free-for-all today. We're going to talk a little bit of college football, NFL football, with those seasons approaching. We, uh, if you're not a football fan, don't worry, we won't lose you. We won't go too long, but we're just going to talk a little bit about, uh, Predictions maybe for college football, which will probably, I'm guessing, be Big Ten focused, um, and then uh, predictions for the NFL, which will probably be NFC, NFC North, North focused. So uh, Peter is unable to join us. He is drywalling his bathroom. I'm not quite sure why he's doing that, Mike. You know, there wasn't an, I don't like flooding or something, was there? Well, didn't he have uh, issues with leaking in the winter, and maybe he had to redo that? That could be. So that is what Peter is busy doing, and, and Ben is uh, apparently working on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath. No no rest for the weary. Um, and so it's the two of us with Ziggy in the backyard. Ziggy, I don't think you're probably staying around for the main topic, huh? You don't want to talk about syllabi? I might stay. Do you know what a syllabus is? Yeah, it's like all the stuff you need and like what you'll be going through and stuff. Yeah, you got some tough competition because we had uh, Anna and Sophie on last episode. And they opened up our main topic. We asked them a bunch of questions, and they kind of... They nailed it. Yeah, they nailed it. They kind of ruined it. What were you talking about? Uh, the church and uh, what makes it beautiful and holy. <laughs> and so, uh, Ziggy, why don't you just briefly tell them a little bit about yourself? They they haven't heard you in a while. Well, I started high school last Wednesday, and um, I've been playing soccer. We haven't had trials yet, but I don't know. I might make the team, maybe not. You've had a bunch of practices, though, this summer, huh? Yeah. They weren't mandatory practices, but you could go just to, like, get ready for the season. What's your favorite class so far at Wisco? Um, biology. Mr. Nichols is good. Good? Um, Did you know, uh, you know I'm preaching at Maine, Wisco, this year? Ew. Do you want me to work you into the, no. into the chapel talk? If you mention me, I'll walk out. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, well, good. Well, we uh, won't belabor our intro, and Mike, why don't you go ahead then and give us uh Actually, I should mention, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Encourage you to check that out. And last Thinking Fellows episode, they did mention there still are a handful, not a lot, but a few seats left um, for the Here We Still Stand conference. 
Um, if you have interest in that, it's a great place um, as far as location to be at in San Diego. Um, we will be there. We're recording at, I believe, 10 a.m., live recording. Mike and I, I'm sure we'll grab a guest or two. Um, and then I'm presenting on Saturday. Um, the theme is the creed, and uh, my presentation will be on I Believe We Are Free. And so if you are interested in that, uh, you can still get a, a few tickets. There's always people who end up talking to us later and say, uh, yeah, I wish I would have got some tickets. That sounds great. Um, now would be the time to do that if you think you are potentially interested in going. Um, if you are able to make it out there, say hello to us, and uh, Mike will buy you a beer. Absolutely. The, uh, with his beer tickets that we get. But uh, <laughs> uh, that hopefully just a uh, reminder about the network. Check it out. It's at... I mean, we've got, there's just a bunch of podcasts now, and, and you've heard us talk about them enough, but you can go to 1517, see all they're doing. They have a new website, lots of new stuff up, so I encourage you to check that out. And Mike, why don't you go ahead and give us our disclaimer then? This show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Hello, we're back with our free fall for all, excuse me, and uh, this time of year, everybody's talking about college football and the NFL and, and making their predictions of what's going to happen in the in the coming season, and so uh, we've been doing that uh, the last couple of years, I suppose, giving you our, our predictions, and so we'll do it really quickly, uh, probably start with college football, um, so... Uh, maybe we could... Uh, Ziggy, maybe just briefly, you could let the listeners know what uh, Dr. Brooke is wearing. Uh, it's a Michigan t-shirt, so uh, not great to have in our backyard. He, at, when I walked like, up... I hope the neighbors I, won't judge us. When I walked up, he said, why are you dressed like a homeless person? So He looks homeless, though, you have to admit. Like, he kind of <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah, with the beard. Sorry for interrupting, though, That's Mike. Right. But so uh, maybe, maybe we could go around to each of us and say, what are you looking forward to, storyline, or a team that you want to watch? Not necessarily Big Ten related, and then we'll go around and maybe say... Here's who I think is going to win the Big Ten, and here's my four teams for the college uh, football playoff. Um, so I'll go around. I am interested in a non-Big Ten story, and that is that Lawrence kid out of Clemson, sophomore, see how he's going to do um, because he seems to be like a future quarterback in the NFL, like a can't-miss kind of draft pick. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with the full season. And uh, if he can handle the pressure of being a defending national champion and uh, if they can, uh, you know, beat Alabama twice in a row, I think most people outside of the state of Alabama and really probably Auburn fans inside the Alabama, Alabama state lines would appreciate and would find great. So, Ziggy, what do you got? What are you looking forward to in college football? Um, hopefully Michigan State beating Michigan again. Hasn't happened for a couple of years, which isn't great. It's a, did Michigan win two in a row now? Um, I think so. They won this last year because we were at, here. We yeah. still st- here. We still stand last year when. Although yeah, it was a close I, it's, one. yeah, I don't remember. Um, 
that game is going to be awful because it's going to be Michigan State's defense is just rock solid. But they yeah, can't. But their offense is I, I doubt they would score. It, it'll be like a 10-3 to 3 game. It'll be like um, with Adam Sandler and Waterboy where uh, Adam Sandler's character is uh, just tearing it up on defense and all their points are on D, so the other team just starts kneeling yep. so that they don't give the defense a chance to score. Punt, uh, you know, I let's – this could be a year where you see a punt on third down. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. So you want to see Michigan State do well? Hopefully. What do you? Yeah. What are your big picks? For making the college football players. Sure. Or just, yeah. yeah. And the Big Ten. Who do you got in the Big Ten? Um. Probably Ohio State winning it because they're Ohio State and stuff. But new coach though. Still Ohio. New State. New quarterback. Yeah. But. They'll probably have at least one loss on the season because it's the Big Ten, you know, and Ohio State always loses against some, like, Purdue They'll, or they'll something. probably lose to, like, Rutgers this year. <laughs> um, but then there will obviously be Clemson and Alabama in the playoff unless one of them just, like, something happens and they just have a terrible season. And then... Um, Maybe Texas, honestly, making All right. it. All right. I mean, apparently they have, like, built up a lot. So, and then, I don't know who else. All right, what do you got, Wade? What are you looking forward to, and what are your... I was just looking up the uh, the rankings, and I have to say, in typical U of M fashion, they are... Overrated. They are overrated <laughs> at the beginning of the year. Um, I will say, to be fair, I do think Michigan will live more up to the hype this year than they have the past few. I do think uh, the offense will be more productive, probably. Um, and I think overall the Big Ten doesn't have one like clear dominant team. I think it could be a dogfight all year. So I do think Michigan will finish with a big, better record than Michigan State. Um, I do not think Ohio State will win the Big Ten, so I will say Michigan wins the Big Ten, um, as much as it pains me to see that. Uh, but I do think uh, Michigan State will bounce back from a terrible year last year. I think they will be competitive. As Mike said, I think the defense will be better. Uh, I love Mark D'Antonio, but he just reshuffles cards on offense. There's never like a big move to actually have an offense, and I think that's going to keep being what keeps them from uh, advancing further than they probably could with the defense they have. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they make a, a good bowl game. Um, but they don't win the Big Ten. As far as uh, end of the year, I, I probably would have to throw out, you know, Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma. Um, if a Big Ten team makes it, I think Michigan or Ohio State. I I do um, at least want to think, you know, uh, Brian Kelly, uh, Notre Dame coach, was a Central Michigan University coach. Um, kind of like to see them do well. I'm going to say uh, Notre Dame maybe overperforms this year and then gets decimated in yep. the playoffs if they make that. it. I so. can see that. I'm going to go with, uh, I think it is Michigan's year. Uh, this is a window for them to uh, beat Ohio State. And Ohio State's going to lose their um, uh, patent, patent, legal, whatever. They're trying to uh, uh, trademark the the word the oh yeah, yeah that's just that. so they're gonna lose why that. they're gonna lose that yeah. they're gonna lose that's that gonna lead to, sure. to some like good 
Michigan trash talking it when will. that rivalry game it comes will. up. It will be a fun week. There'll be some good signs. There will be. I hope that they get T-shirts for like everyone that goes that just says the and then the <laughs> Michigan logo. Yep. Or the University of Michigan. I, if I was if I was a Big Ten school right now, I'm sure they're already printing these for like Northwestern purple and white has got the. Yeah. And everybody's gonna do it just to just to troll them. I think that'll be great. I think. Um, obviously Alabama and Clemson and then you know Oklahoma's probably going to come out of the Big 12 but maybe let's say they stumble and and Texas stumbles which I could see happening and then you're going to have like either Georgia or maybe a second Big Ten team backs into there and whoever plays this could be the year if Michigan and Ohio State have decent years this could be the year the two Big Ten teams actually make it in and then they both will get absolutely crushed in the first round it won't even be close and then Alabama beats Clemson. That's and then the prediction. SEC will talk a bunch right. of trash about that's how fine. bad the Big Ten is. Yeah. And that's fine, and it's actually true. So we're okay with that. Um, but, you know, if they maybe had um, stricter uh, requirements to get people into their classes, maybe it would be uh, a little bit more. But you know who I, uh, I honestly want to be good but I think is going to have a rough year? Is Bucky? I think Wisconsin's going to struggle this year. Uh, but their future's unless bright. This, unless this new quarterback really you know just shines um they're gonna have to score some points this year i think and uh yeah i think uh they get michigan early on and michigan has a bye i believe before and it's not i think it's gonna be not great so all right nfl i'll do my nfl real quick um i just want to watch the raiders of course like everybody does because they're a tire fire um although that pains me (laughs) because antonio brown fire up chips you know (laughs) um central michigan alumnus and uh he is just this helmet thing and his feet, it, it is just... I love it. It's been meme gold. Yep, I love it. Ugh. And I think uh, the Rams take a step back. I think New Orleans actually comes out on t- out of the NFC. I think the Packers bounce back and win, the, win their division, uh, but lose to Drew Brees and his swan song. And then, um, man, I hate to do it, but I, I like Tom Brady, and how can you bet against the Patriots coming out of the AFC? Maybe, maybe, maybe if Kansas City gets a home game against the Patriots, maybe, maybe, maybe Kansas City. But uh, I think New Orleans, I think Drew Brees wins his second Super Bowl and retires. That's my prediction. What do you got, Ziggy? Um, I think the Bears, their defense is just too good, and they have a few pretty good offensive pieces. Um. So I think they'll win the division again. It'll be close. Maybe like one game ahead of like the Vikings and Packers. Don't think the Lions will do great, sadly. Um I don't know who is really going to come out of the NFC. Probably the Saints. Um and then I think honestly the Chiefs might get a little big-headed from this last year Good point. and kind of coast through the it regular be on season. ESPN. Yeah. Good point. Maybe end up with like the wild card or something and then like Maybe get into the championship, but then lose to Tom Brady again. Who do you want to win the Super Bowl outside the Lions? My choice is the Chargers. I'd like to see the Chargers, actually. I would love to see the Chargers get it, yeah. yeah. Philip Rivers, mm. good Catholic oh. man, like 27 <laughs> children. <laughs> oh, well, I saw this thing on Instagram about that. Like, people made, like, a whole... NFL team on Madden with Philip Rivers and his kids. <laughs> uh, so who's your pick? Who do you think wins it? Um, probably Saints. All right. All right, and then uh, 
Do the Browns make the playoffs? What do you guys think? Yeah, wild card. I think so, wild card, but they'll lay an egg. Yeah, I think they make the playoffs, which is a huge stride, and then they, they're done. Um, I would like to see Chargers do well. I'm a little more optimistic about the Lions. I'm going to say uh, Bears win the NFC North. I think Packers are, have a potential to be a dumpster fire this year. Um, Aaron Rodgers already seems to be getting a little snotty with the new coach, um, having some back issues. I don't see these big offseason moves that really improve the team for what it was last year. Um, I think Bears then Vikings out of the north. Um, every year I just pick the Patriots to win it all, and that seems to work normally. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, <coughs> Patriots make a run. Um, I would not like to see the Saints win it because uh, it goes back to the the playing dirty Saints that was against the Lions, I think, when that bounty gate thing oh, came out. And uh, <laughs> Although nothing against Drew Brees. But, um, so I'm going to say... Uh, Rams or Patriots? All right, sounds good. Well, there you have it. You have the Let the Bird Fly uh, football preview. Take it to the I'm bank. I'm pretty sure Peter picks the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. so take, you can take all that to the bank. It'll happen. We'll be back with our main topic, which is going to be syllabi, but more than that, what we're thinking about... Uh, Actually, we're just going to read our syllabi. Yeah, we're going to read it. The all sections the on like intellectual property and yep, like super student accommodations are very exciting. <laughs> Um, no, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, don't uh, don't tune out just yet because I, I think it'll it'll surprise you where we're going to take it. So, all right, we'll be back in a second. We're back for our main topic. Ziggy is going to be a trooper and stay as long as he can manage without getting bored. <laughs> so if he just leaves um, and you don't hear his voice anymore, that's okay. So syllabi, you know, with those pieces of paper you get the first day of class and uh, it tells you all the policies and what you have to do. Did you schedule. get those in high school, Ziggy? Uh, yeah. So are that's when it starts. Are they then? intimidating or are you like whatever? No, so the first day of school in college, my wife said that was always the worst because she saw all that stuff that she had to do. I'm like, this is the best day. You don't have to do anything. You right. just have to sit there and listen to. You have to literally walk through everything painstakingly right. with them. But otherwise, you did we get to, syllabi in high school? Brain. I can't remember if we ever got uh, one. I don't know. You can, I always thought you could just turn your brain off, but probably that wasn't wise. So what did you think about your syllabi? It's like, oh, I got to do all this. I was like kind of confused at first. Uh, because obviously I never had so any syllabi before, um, and so I was like, "What is this?" And then I like read it, and I was like, "Oh, okay." What that was makes the sense. best syllabi you got? What class was like the most organized? And you looked at it and you went, "I can understand this." Um, uh, don't really know yet. What are you taking a language? German. Okay. All three have taken German so far. Nice. nice. Yeah. You learn any German yet? Um, Nine. Yeah. We're gonna or, yeah, we're gonna have sorry. you call Marco, my um, our family friend who's from Germany, went to grad school with me, and you can talk uh, Deutsch with Marco. 
I know like eight words, but okay. We had nice. a, we had a, a friend, a classmate, Steve Nauman. Shout out to the Hillsdale yeah. professor. Yeah. He made he's the he's made it as far as anybody in our oh, class. Oh, he has been by far. And he's a he knows his Rhodes German scholar, all that history. kind of stuff. But when he taught it in high school, briefly, right out of college. You aren't a Rhodes scholar, Mike. I know. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, not quite sure. <laughs> um, but he, one way he taught his uh, his high school students was they had to follow. Um, he had to fo- they had to follow fo- German football. Oh, that reminds <laughs> me. Quick, back to the free for all. You got a Bundesliga pick? Bayern. Really? I'm yeah. gonna go with uh with RB Leipzig. No. It uh in the in the Johnston house uh, when we watch soccer, everybody seems to watch English. Pr- that's shots. Er, Lab who is deaf, so I would yell at her to tell her to stop, but uh, she won't hear us. Um, but she must see something she doesn't like that she's barking at. I think it's just like there's an old couple across the street and they sit on their porch. I think that's who she barks at uh, because there's no one there's no uh, one else walking by or any dogs or anything. All right, so, so you got you got Bayern Munich, huh? Yeah. What about uh, the Dutch? Feyenoord gonna do it? Nah. I mean, Ajax has to. Yeah, I'm gonna say third place finish for uh, for Rotterdam. I'm I'm gonna say RB Leipzig for uh, for Bundesliga though. All right, sorry, we got distracted, um, but uh, Dr. Nauman used to have him watch. Uh, well, he had the, they had to follow the standings of the Bundesliga, and, you know, it's probably, he's, he's, he is a sports nut, and that's yeah. not. I he, mean, I remember in college, he, like, he and uh, another friend of ours, uh, Pastor Wolfram, had, like, knew every fight song of every college, and yeah. uh, Steve knew, like, he was a huge Mac fan, like. Yep. So then having gone to Central Michigan myself, I grew in my appreciation for that. He actually did work at Western Michigan, too. Did he? But, uh, I think he, he did at Michigan State. But too. he knew, like, he, yeah, he knew, uh, well, he, I think he did Western and then went to Michigan State. But he uh, he knew about any school you could know. Favorite Steve Nauman uh, T-shirt was uh, red and white, and it says, Miami is in Ohio, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he was always good for that. Um so, uh, yeah, I know that's a good way to learn it, to follow yeah, Bundesliga. Right, right. So that was not in your your German syllabi? No. What's, I, don't, what's I don't think we even got a syllabus for German or yeah, syllabi maybe not. or whatever. So uh, when we hand out uh, syllabi, it's, uh, well, when we let's say when we prepare syllabi on the college level, would you say like 75% of it is just stuff we have filler, to have yeah. in there because of whatever policy. And this year was especially fun because God bless the Gen Ed Committee and I'm really happy with what we did with the new gen ed, but uh, they had to go through a lot of syllabi for new language in there, and uh, yeah. and so it was even more boilerplate language yeah. that needed to yeah. go in. So you got to cut and paste, and they see it in every class, and you just got to have it for legal reasons. Blah blah blah. Don't, you know, don't cheat. If you have a problem, go talk to this person. Whatever. Yeah. But there is some kind of fun stuff there. I actually kind of like doing the the schedule, map out the semester. I'm organized that way, and I want to go. Okay, here this. I don't like the. Uh, probably a little bit less than you um, go off the cuff, right? And so I, I do like that kind of structure, and so I actually don't mind doing the doing the schedule. Um, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit, if, unless you want to go somewhere else. Wade, um, I'm teaching uh, intro to scripture, which is the whole Bible in a semester, and so that schedule writes itself, right? Although I have four units, um, we do the Genesis and Exodus is the first unit, 
and then after each unit we have a theology day and so I'll usually I'll take like uh, theology the first unit the second unit will do uh, a variety of things from the Old Testament as we finish off the Old Testament that second unit prophecy typology stuff like that third unit Gospels and Acts and I usually do Christology at the end of that and then uh, the New Testament epistles is my uh, the final uh, unit and uh, kind of that theology days is eschatology so to all of that kind of stuff get, it gets that's been left behind kind of deal with that and it's it's a fun class to to teach um, my other classes are Pauline epistles that kind of writes itself too we uh, we have a separate class for Romans so we don't spend a whole lot of time on Romans but you just I do it you know you do Although it Micah you worked uh, in J term. You had several days on Romans, which wasn't even in the syllabus. Well, I just speak about free I, I Just feel like you got to. You can't. It's I catechism. Know, I know we have another class on Romans, but you can't skip it. So we do. Spend the prof for that isn't very good, though. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't try to mention that because I don't want to tick off the prof who teaches Romans, yeah. Wade. Well, maybe if we backtrack a little bit. Oh, well, um, and then it, we'll come back to this. But I and then I also have history of Christianity. So. Yeah, and, and so that's helpful because those kind of fall in different categories. But maybe if we could talk a little bit about how theology is arranged at the college. And uh, we re reworked a lot of that this uh, past year, and Mike was kind of the go-to guy on, on putting a lot of that together. And so when students come to Wisconsin Lutheran College, they have an intro, and they have either what Mike teaches, which is 105, or what I teach, which is 110. So intro to scripture is what I do. So basically the kids that maybe didn't go to a Christian high school, 110 is intro to theology. And so it probably spends a little less time on what we would call, I suppose, Bible history and gets yep. to go a little bit deeper just because those kids have had more. more and I would say in. 105, what Mike teaches is very much like maybe building kids up um, to get them ready for their future classes. And 110 then is a lot of kids who've come in from parochial schools, usually Wisconsin Synod or Missouri Synod parochial schools. And uh, we're still building them up, getting them ready. But a lot of that maybe also is, uh, uh, I don't want to say breaking them down, but getting them to realize um, there's still plenty of theology to learn. Right. One of, <coughs> 105 is they don't know any theology. Don't be intimidated. 110 is you thought you knew theology. Uh, and now, <laughs> now, we let gotta, me, now let me teach you theology. Let us explain why you're going to take three more. Yeah. And then the way the courses are broken down now in the new gen ed is we have four uh, or three categories, and that's biblical theology, systematic theology, and applied theology. And you're going to have to help me remember the numbering here, Mike, now, but um, the, the, I believe biblicals are 200 now. And so the encouragement is in their sophomore year, um, we encourage that they take one theology a year. They're required to take four theology courses. And a lot of kids take more, but you know, right. this is, yeah. And uh, the thought with that is if it's going to be formative, you want them to have that experience throughout their time at WLC. Um, and so to take a biblical first, Pauline epistles, which Mike mentioned, would fall under that. Um, Mike and I kind of hand off Pauline epistles back and forth with each other. We each teach that. Um, we do the same with the Luther course. Um, I, <coughs> excuse me, I also have Romans. Um, there's other courses we offer, but I think that's the only biblicals you and I teach, isn't it? Is Pauline in Romans? Or you've had New Testament, and I've had New Testament, but we're not regulars on that. No, no, and then we do have, so two of our older pr professors will then take, uh, Life of Christ, so basically the Gospels, but then also Genesis is offered, um, 
you know, Old Testament prophets or wisdom literature. We have uh, apocalyptic. Pastoral and Catholic. Pastoral Catholic epistles. So we really do cover just about everything. And the hope is with that that they get, um, in the past was really emphasis on sometimes survey of the whole Old Testament or new. But our hope kind of now is in a more digestible portion and maybe teach the students how to read the scriptures and engage the scriptures. Enga- it's, a, it's a definitely engage a text, engage a text, whatever it's going to be. Yeah. Um, Ziggy, I'm going to have you put the dog up if that's all right. Um, Mike, if you want to turn his microphone down just a little bit while he goes and does that. And uh, she apparently thinks there's some danger to the family, um, which may be the old people across the street, but Ziggy's going to get her. Oh, you turned yourself down, Mike. Yeah, we got. Sorry. Uh, now there, you're back. We're back. There we're you back. Go. Sorry. Welcome back, Mike. Um, you were talking about it kind of it's formative, like so intro, and then we want them to take a biblical, and then we'll come back and talk about applied and systematic. But um, it's not just that they; it's a faith thing, but it's just formative for them, just in general, to say, okay engage a text so like in history it may be like okay here's the history of western civilization now you're going to take a course where you actually read some primary source stuff you actually dig into it and we're not worried so much about the uh the big picture but you engage a certain text and i think that's important in any discipline especially with with the word of god and and to begin with biblical theology when as lutherans we confess all scriptura to kind of give them that foundation um so that when they're doing historical systematic and applied theology they they know to be asking you know how does this um align with scripture uh the second category then is systematic theology and i'm trying to think in systematic theology um the luther course obviously counts in that um mike and i teach that uh i teach history of the reformations which uh falls in historical theology falls into systematic theology in general if you're wondering um, and so in that class, um, we look at um, the Swiss Reformation, uh, Zwingli and Calvin, um, the Lutheran Reformation, the English Reformation, uh, and then the Counter-Reformation and Radical Reformation. Um, but we do have, for instance, Dr. Leninger teaches basic teachings of the Bible um, 1 and 2, which is more of a uh, straight doctrine class. Dr. Leninger teaches the Lutheran Confessions. Um, and so we have a number of courses that fall into that as well. So my systematic course this semester will be the Luther course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have applied theology, which is the new category this year. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm actually pretty excited about it because I think we have some courses that are pretty meaty that can fill that. And the thought is that this is hopefully a course that the student takes last. And it's now... Um, how to apply what they've learned um, in a variety of contexts. And so it's not, uh, sometimes people hear applied or practical theology and think uh, that's Bible class light. And we've really tried very um, yeah, carefully the, not to contrary, have it be that. Yeah, no. yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to think now under applied theology would fall ethics. Ethics, apologetics. Christ and culture. Christ and culture, worship. Christian faith and life. Christian faith and life. And I think that's it. And so uh, that will be the category that students wrap up with. And so my course that or they, they may t- it's 300 level, so they may take a junior year, but I think 300 and 400 systematic implied. Oh, I think whatever right. fits their schedule kind yeah. of thing. They're both, yeah. So. So what I will have this semester, Mike mentioned his classes, which is two sections of 105, 
which is intro to scripture and then Pauline epistles and um, history of Christianity. In history of Christianity, I will have one one ten section, which is intro to theology, and then I will have the Luther course. I will have Christ and culture, which is the new course that we've just built, and ethics, which has been um, a course I inherited and I've rebuilt about four times now. So what I thought we could do is is kind of work through the courses today. And just give you a little bit of what happens in that, um, and perhaps any resources you might be interested in that we use for that. Um, Mike, you mentioned 105 a little bit, but anything else you wanted to bring out with that? or I mean, really, the textbook for 105 is, is the Bible. Is the Bible, yeah. And in fact, I don't, I, I, what the way I teach it is just because we really have students that come in who really literally don't know Adam for Moses, right? Um, and it's not necessarily their fault. They just have. They just don't know. But we'll also have students in that class that maybe even maybe even went to a parochial grade school, whatever denomination, or went to Sunday school every Sunday of their life. So it's kind of a. I find it fascinating and great, but it can be a little difficult to try to make it easy and simple, so we don't turn off the person who is new, or newish, or uninformed about Christianity but can also engage the student that, so it's not just Bible history light. And um, no better way, I think, to do that is than just get into the text, right? And so they do a lot of reading, and so I make a deal with them. I said, listen, we're going to do one thing. We're going to read the scriptures, but you got to read the scriptures. Um, I won't make you do even a paper, but we're going we're gonna to grind this out, quiz every day, make sure you're doing it, that kind of stuff. But I can as they're working through this history and very simple theology, I can then go off in class on something maybe that's a little bit more profound. Think about it this way. And so I do think about it a lot as wetting their appetite for thinking about theology a little bit. And so it is in one case, very simple. We're just going to read the scriptures. Um, but, uh, at the same time, we don't, uh, cheat the scriptures either. Right. And try to try to get some some profound stuff in there. So and that's a little bit a little bit different than 110 where you have the freedom to um, add some things like I know you guys in the past have had them read Hammer of God and stuff like that. Yep. And 110 really is the first I would say third um, is the scriptures. Um, Joel plus Paul Langer and I teach 110 and we've each kind of consulted but we have some leeway of what scriptures we engage. I tend to do um, Genesis 1 through 11. Um, then I jump a little bit later in the Old Testament. I try to do some Psalms, um, but then get into the book of Isaiah. Uh, New Testament, I do Mark's Gospel, and then I get to some Galatians and Romans. Um, we then get to um, kind of church history, systematic. To intru- Really, we're introducing them to the four branches of theology at, at WLC. If we make historical theology one of the branches, even though it falls under systematic theology. Um, and for that section, they read the large catechism uh, by Luther. Um, and then we read uh, Spirituality of the Cross by Jean Veith. And then we read Hammer of God by Bo Geertz. And it's fun to see the students engage that at the end. Um, because for each novella, they kind of have to pick out how did Long Gospel fit here? What was the context of the time? What was the situation? How did the pastor um, learn to better, better handle it? Um, maybe Mike, if we bounce back to you now, why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, Pauline epistles you've taught a few times now, right? Yeah. So why don't uh, we go there? Second time. Yeah. And 
maybe just one note on on 110 and theology general uh you know if you're a pastor you're thinking oh they only have to take 12 credits that's a lot for <laughs> that's a lot of for even a and christian I college would encourage for you a to find college. a college that's not a bible right. college where that happens and not only that but they do not get cheated um you know when i took uh, a section of the luther course i kind of saw what you did wade and, and and they read 400 pages of straight luther plus two biographies that was more than we did right and um you know i read hammer of god on my own that was not assigned spirituality of the cross that was not assigned um and so they they the, they don't get cheated here when it comes to theology even on the on the lowest level in the introduction course and i, I hope that that comes out that we we really do they really they really get their their money's worth in that way so yeah so uh pauline epistles um this is i was thinking about this today as uh, i was kind of finishing up uh stuff for for this semester um and we talked about this like you're not a powerpoint guy and and um i'm not super intrigued by powerpoint i think it's a little bit overrated but it depends on the class so apologetics but i will say walking by your classes too i mean use it especially for visuals yeah. you know paintings church architecture yeah. that can bring stuff out there's not a ton of text on your power and i think the question is what kind just pedagogically um you know it, it is helpful especially with the images um but it can also become i just read this powerpoint and then we go to the next slide and we go to the next slide and we go to the next slide and so it has its although sometimes i walk by and there's a slide about me <laughs> which is somewhat <laughs> offensive but um but i think the way i look at it is what is the class that's being taught does a powerpoint fit that apologetics no um history class yes because i i they, i think that's good to see okay the visual of the map or um there may be a story we got to go through real quick and so i want to make sure that i get these four points that happened um just to see the pictures of of all these historical figures but pauline i i started and i go you know what this is dumb um because i want them to engage the text and so i want your bibles open and the way I've taught it, and it sounds terrible, but uh, um, after a while, I thought this was, I think I got more engagement from my students, and I think it was more enjoyable to teach. I'm just going to start with, you know, 1 Corinthians 1, and I'm going to read the chapter, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to go off, you know, and and they're going to be engaged because they're reading, and they're going to think about things, and they're going to mention things, and they're going to interrupt me, and we just literally discuss this text. And that's different than an English course where you're reading, um, you know, a very long novel where you can't literally read it, or there's just bigger themes, and there's themes in scriptures too, and it's literature too, but we're not trying to necessarily find this bigger motif or whatever. Um, it's literally engaging word by word the text, and I think that's fun. And so, uh, I just divide it up by books, and um, for my the class presentations for the kids, um, I make them do the introductory work. Like this is Rome, and this yeah. is uh, this is no, what Rome what looked like. You guys I don't want. I don't, tell me about it. You know what? I don't, it's important, but I don't want to waste your time to me telling you what the population of Corinth was. You know, um, you can do some background work on that, and. Uh, uh, maybe just one more thought on that. The way I do it is they, they're going to do some memorization, um, which I think is important. And um, we kind of every day, I'm an every quiz kind of guy, and I hate tests, so I don't have very many tests until the, until the final exam. Um, and uh, here's some major essay type questions that I want you to think about. And then 
write it. We're going to, you're going to write it. The next class period, I'm going to look at it, tell you where you're wrong, where you're right. And uh, that way they're kind of really thinking about uh, some of the deeper things with those texts and uh, building them up to the final exam where they'll just have all those questions basically. And um, they can have to go through it multiple times. And so, you know, for, you know, one of the questions is going to be, what are the two kinds of righteousness? Right. Um, what, uh, you know, I don't do, I do this in 105, but obviously not Pauline, um, because everybody knows that St. Paul didn't write the uh, epistle to the Hebrews, but you know, how is Jesus the, <laughs> I won't bite. <laughs> how is Jesus the high priest? How does that, how does that fit in? What, what line is he? Why does it say that he's not in the, you know, the line of Melchizedek, but not in the, the Levitical line? And you're right there in law and gospel. Right. And try to get them to say, OK, here's the short answer. Jesus, for this example, Jesus is not in the line of, of the, the Levitical line, but in the Melchizedek line. Uh, OK, I got an A. No, you didn't. Now tell me why. And yeah. connect it to law and gospel, connect it to their salvation, connect it to uh, Christology. And, and I think so Pauline epistles is very much just like talking it through and a, and a long conversation. And it's a fun class. Yep. It's a real fun and it, class. I mean, it's one where you really get to drive home to them biblical concepts that are key to understanding the rest of the scriptures. Um, and you don't have a biblical this. You don't have Romans. No, nope, no. Nope. Um, so why don't we save Luther for the end because we both teach Luther. Sure. And I will go with ethics now um, that I teach. And ethics is one that I have every semester, um, and it's one that I've revamped a number of times. Um, I inherited it when I came here, and the person who taught it before me uh, was a very uh, gifted philosopher um, and very ambitious, and uh, I, I kind of had to, to shape it to play to my strengths. Um, and so what I, what I do in ethics is I try to... Uh, to walk through first classical ethics, so here's classical ethical thought, and then theological ethics, and then get to um, kind of a, well, I got to do bioethics because nursing students want that. And then I get to um, what I think is a fun section where we look at, well, how does ethics work in everyday life? And that's kind of, we bounce back to that throughout the semester. Um, but for that course, what I what I tend to do, I'm just looking at the at the syllabus here to remind myself, because I've rebuilt it a little bit. But we in, we intro with some intro to ethics. What does the term mean? What is the discipline? What's the kind of stuff it engages? What's the difference between ethics and morality? And then we get into some David Foster Wallace, um, his Consider the Lobster and Authority in American Usage. And then we jump into the Holocaust. Um, and there's a reason that we do that. We uh, I had to pick something that everyone could agree is wrong. <laughs> and so we read Ordinary Men by Christopher Browning, which is just a fantastic book that looks at the Holocaust from the point of view of perpetrators who did not really um, get put in the situations they were in because they were Nazis. Most weren't party members. Most of them were like Mike and I, 40-year-old people with established careers. They got drafted up to be uh, this police battalion, um, Reserve Battalion 101, I believe they were. Um, Ordinary and, people carrying right. out atrocities. And Browning tries to explain why they could do this. And, and this usually leads to good discussions with students of, well, were they ordinary? Does that mean we could do this? Um, if people are capable of evil, why are they capable of it? Um, how do they 
justify it or explain it away. Did they think it was evil or did they convince themselves that they were doing something necessary? Um, and then we get to the classical ethics. We do Aristotle, Epictetus, um, Augustine, Aquinas, Hobbes, Hume, Kant, Mill, Nietzsche, um, Kierkegaard, Sartre, and then we read Camus, The Stranger, which is just a great novel if you've ever read it. Uh, students, when we get done, a lot of times will be like, what was that even supposed to be? <laughs> and uh, it leads to a really good discussion. We then use a Althaus book on the ethics of Martin Luther, um, and then C.S. Lewis' Four Loves, and I think that's been the students' favorite book so far, is The Four Loves, and we've done an episode on that. If Peter were here, he would tell us what episode that was. We then use a Gilbert Mylander's bioethics book, and then we get into a little bit of um, Dostoevsky, the Grand Inquisitor from the Brothers K, and we uh, we then have some movies um, that they watch either on their own or in class, and they have to then look at those through the lens of what we've studied so far. And that's usually fun to see. Um, a lot of times they'll say, like, you kind of ruined that movie for me mm -hmm. um, because I hadn't thought about all this stuff going on in there. Um, but the point of ethics really is, uh, as um, this is the one of the only one or two philosophy classes the majority of our students take, unless they're doing, um, you know, a politics and law major, mm -hmm. is to get them to be able to think critically and to look at... Um, how do people arrive at the positions they're at? You know, especially when we do bioethics even too, you know, to get them to realize, well, not everybody is just a Nazi if they have a, a, a position that doesn't align with the biblical position. What is what they think about life or the purpose of life or the meaning of life? How does that impact um, how they arrive at the position they arrive at? And one of the hopes is that that enables them to be able to engage those things once they're past their time at WLC. Um, but also to get, hopefully, some of the students who come in taking Christian positions for granted mm -hmm. um, to be able to actually explicate and defend their positions. Because to me, one of the most dangerous things we can do down do is to send out students who know all the answers but know, know how to arrive at them. Um, it'd be like sending out math students who know the answers but can't actually do the work to solve the problem. And I think, you know, if that happens, that feeds the narrative of, you know, Christians not really um, being a thinking people, um, Christianity more being just moral teaching rather than doctrinal teaching. Indoctrination um, from their from yeah. The pulpit, yeah. And so that's one of the goals with, uh, with ethics. Um, I think, Mike, why don't we let you take real quick history of Christianity, then we can bu uh, bounce to Christ and culture. Sure. I am very much a da-da-da-da-da uh, kind of, you know, this happened and this happened. I like to see those connections. I like to see movements and stuff like that. And so I really did divide it up with, you know, we're going to do 50 years at a time, basically. Sometimes we got to do 100. Sometimes we got to do a little bit more. Um, but uh, the textbook that I use, and I'm blanking on the textbook. It's a Concordia one um, from age to age or through age to age or something like that. And uh, that doesn't, that, that doesn't really go, it does chronological chronological order of course every history textbook is going to do that but it takes big chunks and I kind of like it because it added quite a few but not long uh, tidbits that were uh, primary source kind of stuff and very much about okay what does worship look like or what does evangelism look like in this specific place and so it didn't really get into um, here was this policy, and then there was this council, and then this happened, and then there was this theology. It was much more um, about the people of that age and the movements. And so I kind of balanced it out 
where what they read um, is going to be a little bit uh, bounce around, a little bit broader, a little bit about things that you wouldn't you wouldn't really memorize for a test. And then in the class, I, I will give a little, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and then discuss some of that, that primary source uh, material. We'll see how it goes. This is the first time that I've, I've taught this. Um, I'm hoping that'll be the right balance. Um, but some overall questions as I'm preparing that, which I think are kind of fascinating to think about, is I just wonder if the questions that the church deals with are the questions that humanity deals with. And uh, you're going to love this, um, but I think it does. The big question is how do you deal with um, the spiritual and the physical coming together? That's the, <laughs> that's the big question, right? Because then that gets played out into uh, church and state or mosque and state or synagogue and state. That What we're talking about is how does the spiritual affect our lives? How much do we pay attention to it? How much authority does it have? Can the spiritual authority have um, a certain amount of temporal authority? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? At times it was a necessary thing, right? And if you look, look at where we are today through and look back through history, I mean, you see that tension, right? Why is, why is France's relationship with religion and specifically the Roman Catholic Church different than the relationship that the church um, has with the government in Spain? Well, I, I think we can answer that because France is, uh, sees the, the church as a cultural thing before it, it is a theological thing, and it um, definitely wants French power over um, Italian power or Roman Catholic power, and to the point where, like, my favorite, one of my favorite characters, even though he's not a good guy, is Henry IV, like, switch religions, like, five times, you know? <laughs> um, and you see that being played out in French politics through the revolution and still today, right? It's just a different vibe in France where it's, that's the first really attempt. Well, and as you look at the reaction of Notre Dame burning yeah. and how much of that didn't come out just in that in the French media. And then maybe another kind of contrast is you have at the same time, you have Isabella of Spain, who I think truly, truly, truly wanted to reform the church and reform um, and and reform her her country on on moral grounds. Um, certainly, there were some mistakes there, but as just as fervent a reformer, uh, forming desire as Martin Luther. The difference was Luther and before him Wycliffe and Huss understood that the church needed to reform its theology, where the other reformers, mostly Roman Catholic, wanted to reform piety um, and it's law and ends up being law versus gospel and, and to see that getting played out and to have those overarching questions in front of the students just about every day right what's the theology here what's going on between the spiritual and the physical the church and the state um, and I think it really really will help them then look at our age and say who are the people who are trying to in a law piety moralistic way reform the church and society is that the right avenue even though it is right that the church should be reformed um, morally and the state should be would would 
we would like it to be morally upright. Um, but there's theological questions getting there. And, and that's true both of conservative and liberal-leaning Christians, where uh, both trying to, I would say, um, reform things from a, um, a law lens, um, a moral lens, and not necessarily a theological lens always, and that becomes problematic, and you can get yourself into this, oh my goodness, if we don't reform the state, everything's going to fall apart. We've seen this story before yep. in all of its nuance for the last 2,000 years from day one. Um, so I, I'm hoping, we'll see if I fail or not, I'm hoping to put those kind of big questions in front of the students so when they're getting lost in the weeds of, you know, who's the Holy Roman Emperor right now? And why does Spain, you know, why does France hate that person? Why is France making a deal with, with the Turk? <laughs> you know, yeah. think it through. Why? Um, and, and, and I also think that we wouldn't be so quick to blame those people who we criticize in the past. Like, what's their mindset right now? If you ask these big questions and say, this is where they are pushing themselves. I'm not saying that the Inquisition was good, but put yourself in the shoes of their motivation for that, right? And what's their flaw? It's not that there are um, <clears throat> somehow these morally corrupt people any more than anybody else is, but they don't see it as a gospel theological question. They see it as a, we need to win for Christ every person. Uh, and just, I mean, every age has had cultural Christianity. <clears throat> yeah, so I think, Mike, you bring yeah. out a lot with that, why historical theology is subsumed under systematic, because I think they're going to, in that course, they touch on about every doctrine you can touch on, <clears throat> but they see theology was never done in a vacuum. It was always done um, within the time and place, the age in which Christians uh, lived and worked and, and thought. Um <clears throat> Maybe I can go now to the Christ and Culture course, which is the new course we've added at the college. And you might think Christ and Culture, uh, a course title like that means here's um, a, a bunch of readings and here's a bunch of training to teach you how to be a culture, cultural warrior. Um, you know, it might sound like here's a bunch of stuff to help us win the culture wars. And that's really not what the course is at all. Um, in many ways, it's intended to hopefully get students to step back from thinking that it's the goal of the church to win a culture war and to get them to ask bigger questions about, A, to what, to what extent has the culture um, colored their understanding of theology, right? There's a lot of stuff as Christians that we take for granted um, depending on where we live. So for us as American Christians, that uh, is much more American than Christian, um, but it's also to get them, hopefully, to the point where they're able to talk to others and engage the culture around them. So uh, when this course is taught, it's going to be a little bit different when it's taught by um, Dr. Leninger and then eventually by Mike as well. But the the way I have it organized now, I'll just give you the readings and talk a little bit about uh, how it's organized. But we read 1984 by Orwell. We read uh, Fahrenheit 451 by Bradbury. And then we read Brave New World by Huxley. And you might think, well, why are you reading a fiction and a theology course? And aren't those three the same, yeah. right? Yeah, no. And why are you reading a dystopian stuff? Why so much dystopian stuff? And I've actually read a ton of dystopian stuff this summer to be able to give students suggestions for more. 
But the hope with those three books is to get students reading stuff where the author clearly wants to say, here's a culture or a society gone wrong. And then to ask, how does the author see it getting there? What does he see as the problems? What does he see as, um, what is it about human beings that makes them inclined towards these things? And then to ask, um, where does Christ fit with that? And in both, all three of those books are interesting because really Bradbury and, um, and uh, um, oh, Orwell arrive at a society that's somewhat similar um, in its faults, as does Huxley. Um, but they see society getting there in different ways. In, in Bradbury's work, no one has to tell someone not to read a book. People just won't read books anymore. Um, in Orwell's, books are banned. Um, in Huxley's, um, people are just too entertained to deal with that. But you also have uh, a view towards science in each of these. And especially in Huxley's, you have this kind of scientific utopia where everyone is going to be genetically engineered. Um, 1984, and to some extent Fahrenheit 451, you almost have scientific uh, plateau or um, it, it becomes less important insofar as either political ideology or entertainment becomes primary. And I think those three, you look at them and you just go, all right, uh, what is the trajectory of the West today? And you could read all three of those and go, oh, man, this nails it. Mm-hmm. Well, which one more nails mm-hmm. it? Uh, or are they all just terribly pessimistic and we're on our way to the, our best life now? Um, we then read uh, a variety of books to kind of get at different aspects of life together. Um, we're going to read Seculosity by David Zoll, uh, a book I highly recommend. Just finishing that up right now. Um, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by uh, um, two authors, Richards and uh, <coughs> excuse me, and O'Brien. Um, it's a book I've heard some of our circles not like, but I think it's a really helpful book. Um, maybe I don't agree with everything that they say. Maybe we are too Western about, but it really is good for on a lot of stuff saying uh, maybe when you read this with Western Eyes, you're missing the main point. But even sometimes, maybe like what you emphasize Mm-hmm. is um, you think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Clearly, um, sexual stuff was an issue with Sodom and Gomorrah, but so was inhospita- inhospitability. Mm-hmm. Um, and different cultures can look at that and see one or the other as a primary sin. We just lost Ziggy. So. Um, but uh, we're then going to read um, Evicted by Desmond, which was a campus read a couple years ago or last year, um, actually based in Milwaukee. But it looks at um, housing in Milwaukee and how uh, economic and racial factors play into that. Um, the Color of Law by Rothstein, which looks at redlining in America and how where people have ended up living has been affected by actual government policy. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, we're going to read by uh, Franklin, I believe it's Four or Fair, I don't know how to say it right, World Without uh, Mind, The Existential Threat of Big Tech. And to look at these things and say... Um, to what extent has your own life been shaped by this? For instance, you look at uh, schooling in America, and you might say, America has desegregated its schools. Isn't that great? We've made progress. When in actuality, racially, schools are more segregated than they've ever been before because, you know, white people have moved out of the city and um, and other people tend to, to cluster with their own group, whatever they see that group as. 
But to lead students, hopefully to look at, uh, maybe the conservative student says, maybe I've taken some things for granted of, uh, you know, people should just work harder and then they'll be fine. But to ha also maybe have the liberal student say, maybe there's um whole, like, parts of the human life that I've not taken seriously. For instance, religion, um, and considering what factors into how people live and work and have their being. And so the big thing about the Course, uh, for me, is not to... Uh, have a Jesus answer for each thing. You know, if we talk about gun control, what's Jesus' position on gun control? I hate to break it to you. He makes no statement in the Gospels. <laughs> and so what we start at in that um, course with is reading Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel. And what I really want to get them into is uh, reading that in the light of how does Jesus engage neighbor um, in those texts? And uh, he's not he's not pro-gun, but he's also, I just saw a meme about, you know, Jesus always sides with the poor well i don't think not in no. the way you think so right yeah, it's, it goes both ways and to have and to look at in, in some detail how does jesus how does he deal with the establishment how you know you might say well he he's anti-establishment but he doesn't throw over the no, establishment no. Um, neither does saint paul in romans and so the hope is with that course to get students thinking about uh life with neighbor um life with the culture what are our blind spots? What are we not thinking about? Um, I mean, I'm 41 years old, and I'm sadly now reading enough, um, widely enough, that there's a lot of stuff where I go, I've never thought about that. Mm -hmm. Or we officially did that, <laughs> you know, um, and to get them engaged in stuff like that. There'll be a lot of other shorter readings that will be incorporated. Um, but the hope with that course is to get students to recognize um, Pat answers aren't the way to go, that your neighbor is your neighbor is your neighbor, whether you agree with them or not, and that it's going to be really hard to engage your neighbor if you don't understand where they're coming from, um, not just intellectually, but socially, culturally, economically, racially, religiously. Um, but if you also can't um, understand how they, they got to the positions that they hold. There's lots of people who are upset with the church, and when you sit down and listen with them, you go, They've got pretty darn good I'm, reasons. I'm upset, too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so to be able to engage in that way is the hope of that. Um, that brings us to the Luther Course, Mike. And why don't I, uh, I'll let you lead off with this. The The Luther Course was originally taught by uh, Chuck Courtright, mm -hmm. who then retired. And, and so he wasn't uh, teaching anymore. And I grabbed that as quick as I can. And Mike, when Mike got here, we agreed to share that. Because one of the things, if you've listened to the Winging It sessions, that we both found with that course um, is I think it's been really good for both of us to have to keep reading Luther. Mm -hmm. You just get back into those texts and they don't get old. Um, I mean, the same is true of the scriptures, but um, but also uh, as we each have kind of taken it, made it our own in certain ways, um, I don't see us always using the same biographies. I don't see us always using the same Luther text. Um, it's made for personal growth, I think, mm -hmm. in, in that way too. So, Maybe your thoughts on the Luther course, your experience with it, and then I can pick up a bit, Mike. Yeah, so I kind of, the first go-around kind of followed your your pattern of two biographies and then some primary text stuff. Um, I think when it, when I do this next time, uh, what I'm going to do is, uh, what I had done in the past was bio biography and then um, primary source, actually just read Luther and then do a second biography. And, and the first biography, would we used we both used Hendricks. So it definitely walk through history, uh, good, accessible book. And then 
the primary sources we and that's use. And uh, that Hendrix Visionary Luther. Yeah, and then the Lull book, what's the title of? Um, Lull and Russell is Martin Luther's basic theological writings. Which is pretty good. Or, I'm sorry, the Hendrix is Martin Luther Visionary Reformer. Yeah, which is pretty good. I mean, he does a really good job, uh, Russell. And then, I think the and selections are about yeah. as good as you're going to find in yeah, the anthology. You know, I think there's a few where we... You know, I'd like to replace with something else, but that's always going to be the case. And then, well, we use I use Brand Luther as you did too at the, as the second as the second one. And I think what I'm going to do is that first biography is going to be interspersed with primary source. And then I really like the second biography at the end. And I think the students did too. I, I know there are some students that were burnt out and didn't read, but there's always going to be students who don't read. But um, uh, we were those students. We were those students. <laughs> um, and to just the reason I, and I tell him this from the beginning, I'm like, to read a second biography on a person is huge because you see a different point of view. You are able then to agree or disagree with that point of view, right? So you're thinking critically as you're reading that. And I said, I want you to read this for fun. You know, I want you, you've already gotten all that stuff and I want you to read this for fun. And what I mean by fun is not, you know, like a romance novel. I mean like intellectually fun. This was enjoyable Although for you me. Although you read some of Martin and uh, Katie's letters. <laughs> and, and I, I, I think you're, mine was first semester. I think maybe yours is first semester always. I think there's one time maybe it's second semester. I've anyway. had it in the spring. I think the Luther year... I actually offered it fall and spring okay. and multiple sections just because the interest. Was sure. Um, but it's starting to get cold. It's Christmas. And uh, it, it's a different vibe than springtime where springtime they're antsy. The end of this first semester, I think they're tired. And uh, I had a few good comments about the last couple courses where we kind of slowed down a little bit. And you know what I did was I, for the, for the kind of discussion prompts, I would say, um, I would say I would give them t give me your give me give me three reasons why Luther was this, or give me three people that were the most influential on Luther, or give me the three most important theological writings of Luther or whatever. And I went to each person, and I I put them on the board, and then we rated them and got a top ten. So here's the top ten most influential people in Luther's life were here. And then I broke up into groups and said, whether you chose that person or not, make the case and gave them 20 minutes to make the case and uh, fun class. Right. And, and some of the better students who were engaged said that was good. I was burned out and it was just fun to do that. Right. I mean, it had nothing to do with the test. It had nothing right. to do with their papers. It was just learning for the sake of learning and discussing this thing. And some of those, some of those were the best classes that I, at least I got some decent feedback from the from the students that those were were enjoyable for them, and so I really like two biographies in one class for academic reasons, but also just that they can read one critically, but without the without the stress of oh I got to memorize this for the test kind of thing. Yeah, and I have to say, Luther is one of my favorites because of um, we're able to challenge them. I think a fair amount in that course and. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed, too, is for the Luther course, you would think um, at a college where roughly uh, probably 30 to 40 percent of the students are not Lutheran, um, the majority are Wisconsin or Missouri Synod Lutheran. And, uh, but, you know, the argument I got about the Luther course and offering it regularly was, well, they're going to be tired of hearing about Luther or um, they're not going to want to do that work. Says the person who has never studied Luther. 
And I will say this is the most popular course I've ever taught with non-Lutheran students. Mm -hmm. I have a lot who will say, this really helped me understand the college. Um, you know, where it was Wisconsin Lutheran College, and they, in that course, they started to manage, like, here's why you guys keep emphasizing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, this is how it comes out. And so um, I am using the Hendricks again this semester, um, the Martin Luther Visionary Reformer. And I like your idea of the two biographies. I should have thought of that before. Um, but I'm going Hendricks right into pedigree, Brand Luther, which is still, and I know I've said this on the podcast a number of times, my favorite book on Luther right now. My favorite biography on Luther would be Oberman, Heiko Oberman, mm -hmm. um, Man but, Between God and the Devil. But I think we both agreed. It's too theological. Yeah, and it's, you know, either it's got to be dot to dot, this happened, this happened, or it's got to take something Brand Lutheran and really get in. It's, it's, right. it's a little too deep for them, yeah. And I mean, Brecht is three volumes. That would be my second choice. It's too big, though. Um, so Hendricks really does the da-da-da-da-da, here's walking through Luther's life. And then Brand Luther is not really a Luther biography in a true sense. Mm -hmm. um, it's here's Luther's context and how he used the media of his day, um, how the media of his day shaped him. And, and so I like those two books together. I then use the lull. Um, and I will say, like Mike said, there's some imperfect stuff, but anthologies are really hard to do. Especially and, for a guy like Luther. Geez. And when you look how much Luther wrote to pick stuff, and they really do break it up well. And there's most of the readings I say, they chose a pretty good representative portion of that text to use. I mean, Bondage of the Will, I always get to and say they should just read the whole thing. And in um, History of the Reformations, they do read the whole thing. Um, and in my honors course, they do. But um, because you can't understand Luther and Calvin without reading Bondage of the Will. But uh, I really like how law works. What I did get to do this year is I got moved to Monday, Wednesday, Friday for Luther. Did you have it that or Tuesday, I Thursday? Tuesday, Thursday. And it was, it's 80 minutes two times a week on Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's 50 minutes. Now, if we have students listening to this, they're going to complain because I did not reduce the readings. <laughs> um, but what I've added is four classes now where we're going to be in Luther's commentary on Galatians. And what I want them to get from that is uh, Luther is exegete. How did Luther read the scriptures? Um, and then uh, I added uh, Luther historiography. And what we're going to do for those three sections on Luther historiography is read conclusions to biographies on Luther. Conclusions or introductions. And I'm simply going to ask them, uh, read the intro, read the conclusion. What was the author looking for? What stood out to them about Luther? Um, and so we're, we're probably going to look at Erickson's, um, you know, uh, kind of Freudian analysis mm -hmm, of Luther. Mm -hmm. um, I'll probably use Lindell Roper's Luther biography, which a lot of people railed they didn't like in Lutheran circles, but I really did like overall. Um, and we're going to look at uh, what do you think about where they arrived at yeah, that's good. about that's Luther good from what it. they've done with him. And so I would say it's one of my favorite courses for being able to challenge students and uh and, and students overall, I agree with Mike, there comes a point where maybe some aren't reading as much as they should, but they do a darn good job reading. It's one of my courses I don't have tests in. Um, I have papers. I have an oral exam. Um, I have group discussion. Um, they have to have a journal article presentation. But it's very much a seminar course, even though there could be up to 30 students in it, and there usually is. Um, but... Uh, and, and a, a lot of them even comment, like, it, it wasn't just a church history course. It made them think critically about how we see people. Mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, really, uh, what um, what pedigree does with Luther, you could apply to Steve Jobs mm-hmm. or President Obama or Trump. It's it's to say, um, can you really understand this person apart from their time? How were they shaped by their times? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 to, and to make value judgments. Well, were they a good or bad person for their time? And if we're saying that they were a good person for their time, but they did some things we wouldn't, or said some things we wouldn't say today, does that make them bad for their time? Or, um, right. you know, I, I think it, uh, it's one of my favorite courses that we teach at the college. And I think both of us, and by we can tell by the biographies that we're drawn to, um, show Luther as a human, flaws mm-hmm. and all. And you can see that in art. And so only maybe once will I show a picture of Luther that being depicted as he is in, in statues on campuses around uh, Europe and, and America, which really comes, uh, you know, 1800s, yep. post, post-Enlightenment for sure, and where there's a German feel there about Germany's great, look yeah. how pious Luther was. That's not how... Chronic painted him yeah and that's who he is and what's nice about brand luther is just some of the things about luther and he was shrewd about this like how uh at certain points he would dress up he yep. would dress up and put all these things on because he choose the fonts for what he, he knew what he was doing there and there was a little bit of a manipulation there whether good or bad i think probably mostly good he knew he knew what was going on and so this picture that we often have of luther simple guy you know, uh, peasant who just read his Bible, just read his Bible, and he stood up humbly to the Roman Catholic Church. Just couldn't be further from the truth, and uh, it doesn't make him a bad guy. It makes him more complex, right? And, and I think that helps with our students because some of our non-Lutheran students say, "Well, you guys don't have saints, but you sure seem to worship Luther." And I think that course really helps them to see. Hopefully, end of the day, no, we don't. Um, what what we love about Luther is he knew how to read Jesus and Paul. Yeah. You know, and and there's plenty of ugly stuff to go with it. Yep. But also to get them to see Luther was messy in his times and to get to Christ and culture and ethics, we are too. Mm-hmm. Like there's there is no theology that we do that's divorced from our context. Yeah. Maybe you were raised in the wells of Missouri and you're trying to preserve wells in Missouri. Well, you're not doing unbiased theology. You're invested, right? Yeah. And you're operating in context. Maybe you're the student who's come to a Christian college and you are you don't like the rules and mm-hmm. you don't get why you got to take theology. Well, you also aren't, you know, mm-hmm. coming to that unbiased. And I think that course really helps people to see, end of the day, what you have is Christ in your Bible and your times and you, you manage as best you can. And those, those are such cool things and, and they get played out in the humanities in general, but specifically in a good history survey course, not just Western Civilization 101, but a good history course where you're actually into a specific period, primary text. But it's also true of a good theology course, and that's why historic theology, historical theology is so fun and so enlightening, right? That you get to see, um, you get to see flawed people in God's story here, and, and, and then see yourself yep. as a flawed person in a different time and in a different place dealing with the same yep. exact And if they questions. seem foreign to us, why 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you look at why did they emphasize what they emphasized? They emphasize it because of our time. Well, what are you emphasizing? Step back and ask yourself, why are you emphasizing mm-hmm. that? Sometimes you're emphasizing it in a good way. Um, there's things Luther wrote that are fantastic um, because he was emphasizing something vital to the Christian faith. Then there's other times you go, why did he keep emphasizing this? And he couldn't escape his times. And I think that's very important in our own day, too. Absolutely. So those are those are fun courses. I think both of us probably are drawn to historical theology more than, than any other branch of theology. And glad that I mean, I all five of us in the department. Yeah. Or, we, yeah, we, pr- we probably should get a good exegete. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an addition to, to rein us in a little bit. Well, we're at an hour and 15 minutes, so we probably should wrap it up here. Although so. technically we owe you guys like eight episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, so we'll wrap it up Zippy, here. Zippy, what do you got for us here? What are you eating there? Zippy's chowing away tamales. here. Tamales, okay. Tamales from tamales. El Rey, huh? Yeah. That's legit tamales. Yep, this is for a, sure. you get some serious Hispanic. What's your religion? What's your theology course? Huh? What's your theology course at Wisco right now? I got, um heritage of faith and what does that look at the bible what out of all you've listened to what theology course at wlc would you pick out of all of them we've talked about i wasn't really listening i was <laughs> checking instagram and eating tomorrow you're looking at memes he did share a nice uh philip rivers meme and i saw mike share a ohio state meme with yep we did. we did we are not we are not uh discouraging his um lack of attention so well we, good we well we should apologize. probably uh wrap it up but we do owe you guys some episodes um i will say our um i won't say promise because we're not disciplined enough to give a promise huh mike nope but we do plan to be back at this um hopefully releasing every tuesday episodes we are we've been talking we're planning on getting back at the luther winging it sessions those just take prep um those actually take more prep than an episode is that fair to say mike well let's just say we do prep for those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we read a fair amount for that, um, but we want to get back to those. Somehow, um, I didn't believe Peter. He said to us last month, he's, he said, we just had our best download month ap- ever, and we just released two episodes. Um, and I looked and confirmed we did. So someone plugged us, or some algorithm broke, or something, but to our new listeners. We're going to take it. Yeah, to our new listeners, you know, um, we appreciate you joining us. If you made it this long in this episode, go back, listen to some other stuff. Um, we've got uh, Mike has very good ideas on the the chalkboard or is that a, that's a chalkboard um, in the studio. Um, we're looking. The faculty is back on campus. We are going to be picking some brains, and we hope to have uh, some regular, consistent, frequent, good stuff coming for you. Sounds good. Until then, let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a tanker. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. One more round won't get me down. I don't care what